Father, we, we agree together in prayer over the word of the Lord, uh, not just tonight, but the whole series. Lord, I pray that you would anoint this series, anoint me fresh, and Lord, come speak through me, and let everything be spoken that needs to be spoken. Lord, I pray that the word of the Lord will go out as living seeds of truth, sown in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, literally all over the world, and that the Spirit of God will shower down upon those seeds of truth in people and just water those seeds in, in the hearts and minds of the hearers. And Lord, cause those seeds of truth in people to take root and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, let your word go out as the washing of the water of the word of God, the cleanse and purify. Let your word go forth shining and just dispel any type of darkness, any type of lies or deception of the enemy and bring truth and revelation. Lord, let your word be as a hammer that breaks down every stronghold and a sword that cuts away what needs to go and pierces through, breaks through into what needs to happen. And Lord, I pray tonight that by the awesome power and presence of the Holy Spirit, that every person here in this, in this whole series, will, uh, the Holy Spirit will just help captivate us, captivate our, our hearts and minds where we're not distracted, but the Holy Spirit is anointing our minds and helping our, uh, us to keep a focus and to get everything out of the word of the Lord that's, that's God's will and um, anoint our eyes and ears. Give us eyes and ears of the Spirit, Lord. We give you this time, this series. Lord, do exceedingly above and beyond what we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Move in power and transform lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as I said last week, I'm, I'm doing a series on you know, family, marriage, relationships, and I really felt that my wife and I have a unique authority to speak along these lines because, and I say this humbly, but I mean it, and it's because um, we had so much working against us, but yet when you apply God's principles, man, I tell you what, it works, doesn't it? When you apply the Word of God to your life, it works. And when we began to apply the Word of God to our lives, to our family, God has done a tremendous work. And this, this is the truth. And I said this last week, but, you know, a lot of people, you know, hate being at home because of strife or different things. But there's, there's honestly no other place I would rather be outside, of course, with the Lord and His presence. But, it's, but outside that is with my family at home, just spend time with my family. I love my family. And there's a... There's a relationship, there's a bonding that's happened. And I want to share with you several things through this series. At some point, I'm going to talk about the Hebrew roots of the faith and deal with some things there I think will really change your life. But last week, I dealt with what humility, the importance of humility. And I dealt with how important it is. I, hopefully, I'll remember to say this every single time. It's so important that we, when it comes to a family structure, that we are asking the Lord, Lord, Help me become what I need to be in this family. Instead of trying to fix everybody else, that we're asking the Lord to help us become. If everybody does that in the family, if everybody has that attitude, that will create a healthy home. But when everybody's trying to fix each other, how many knows there's a lot of problems in that right there? And that's scriptural because Jesus said to get the board out of your own eye before you try to get the speck out of somebody else's, Okay. So all this goes back to the Word. I believe that this will really help you. I'm of the persuasion that everything that we need is in the Word of God. All right, so with that said, I'm going to kind of dovetail from last week, but this week I'm going to focus on speaking blessings. So let me start with Matthew 7, verse 24. Because you guys know this. I mean, it's one thing to hear the word of God. It's a whole other thing to apply the word. Now, I want to encourage everybody to please let this be something you really remember the rest of your life. It's one thing to sit through a sermon and hear it and go, yeah, that was, that was good, you know, and then go home. It's an entirely, completely different thing to take that sermon and apply it to your life and start actually doing it. They're two completely different things. And the book of James talks about there's people that are hearers of the word, there's people that are also doers. And we need to be people that not just hear this, but we apply it, okay? So Matthew 7, 24, <clears throat> it 
It says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, that's what I'm talking about, that you're a doer of the word, we apply the word of God to our lives, will be like a wise man, far-sighted, practical, sensible, who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods, and the torrents came, and the winds blew, and slammed against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. We know a little bit about the rain right now, don't we? And the wind's blowing. (laughs) And verse 26 says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish, stupid man who built his house on sand. And when the rain fell and the floods and the torrents came and the winds blew and slammed against the house, it fell, and great and complete was its fall. And that's the Amplified Version. So it's a, it's a matter of, look, are we going to take this word of God and really apply it? So I'm going to tell you that the family structure is under major satanic attack, guys, in these last days. It really is. You know, like I talked about last week, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, how Jesus humbled, has humbled himself to glorify the Father and how the Holy Spirit has humbled himself to glorify the Son And there's not any of this fighting in the Godhead, this competition, this pride. There's none of that. There's this humility, and that's how God... God has created us, spirit, soul, and body in His image, but He's also created a family structure to be the father, the mother, and the child, three like a threefold cord, if you will. And the way that there's going to be a flow there, a harmony there, is where there's humility. The wife is going to humble herself to submit to the husband. The children are going to humble themselves to honor their parents. And there's that family structure. And I'll deal in this series also about if you have difficult situations, how to get a breakthrough. Okay, so I'm I'm going to cover a lot of stuff through this whole series. But tonight, uh, let me just keep going, just a quick recap. Remember, if to agree, agree in Hebrew was the word for symphony. And it's like notes of harmony coming together. But when our homes are in order and things are the way they're supposed to be, biblically, there is a flow there, there is a power of answered prayers, and there is a loving home that's in order and God's presence can be there. But the main thing I want to say about that is, is there can be a flow of God's blessings and there can be a flow of answered prayers. But when there's discord and fighting and, you know, things are out of order and and divided, there can actually be a lack of God's blessings and a lack of answered prayers. Let me say that again. Where God, where the word of God is applied in a home and there's unity, things are like they're supposed to be, there can be a flow of blessings and a flow of answered prayers. But when things are chaotic and out of order and there's strife, it can hinder the blessings of God. How many want your home blessed? But it can hinder the blessings of God and it can hinder answered prayers from taking place. Now I'm going to read that real quick in 1 Peter 3, 1. In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. And then it explains it amplified, subordinate, not as inferior, but out of respect for the responsibilities entrusted to the husband and their accountability to God. And so partnering with them so that even if some of them do not obey the word of God, they may be won over to Christ without discussion by the godly lives of their wives. So let me just say right there that I've seen over the years, I've been in church, and I've seen where there would be a woman that comes to church, and she has a, a heathen husband back home that never will come, you know. But I've seen where a woman would not obey this scripture, though. You know, if she was to go home and be a really good wife to him and love him and treat him with respect and be the way she's supposed to be, he would see Christ in her. But instead, she would come to church and badmouth him and talk about what a loser he is and, you know, and just she's so frustrated with him. Why would he want to go to a church where he's already been badmouthed by his wife? And then also, I would imagine if she's treating him with disrespect in the home out of frustration or whatever, but just treating him like dirt and maybe running him down in front of his kids, why would that man want whatever religion she's got. He probably thinks to himself that she's a bit of a hypocrite because she talks all spiritual but then turns around and treats him like dirt. 
So the way that a woman in that situation can win a husband over is by praying for him, yeah, and you know, blessing him and all that, but really being a godly wife to him, and that will soften his heart and do a work in him, This just like the Scripture says right there. In verse 2, when they see, and this is a husband seeing this in his wife, when they see your modest and respectful behavior together with your devotion and appreciation, love your husband, encourage him, and enjoy him as a blessing from God. And then he gives advice here to women. He says, your adornment must not be merely external with, you know, weaving hair and elaborate, um, wearing gold and jewelry and um, dressing in expensive clothes. He's saying, don't put the emphasis on those things. But in verse 4, let it be the inner beauty of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality and unfading charm of a gentle and peaceful spirit. One that is calm and self-controlled, not anxious, but serene and spiritually mature, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands and adapting themselves to them. Verse 6, Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, following him and having regard for him as the head of their house, calling him Lord or Master over her. That's a reference to his headship over her. And you have become her daughters if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. That is being disrespectful toward your husband, but not, not giving in to intimidation, not allowing yourself to be led into sin nor to be harmed. Now, verse 7, in the same way, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way with great gentleness and tact and with an intelligent regard for, their, for the marriage relationship. As with someone physically weaker, since she's a woman, show her honor and respect as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered or ineffective. So when men are mistreating their wives, they're talking to them like they're an idiot or something and, and doing things maybe to run them down in front of their kids or, or just treating them like the way you shouldn't be treating them, you know, God sees that. And God says, you know what? I'm not going to answer your prayers. You're going to treat my daughter like that, and then you're going to come to me and ask me for something? It don't work like that. You go apologize to her, make things right, then come back and talk to me. So write that paraphrase there. Yeah. And then verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded. Now, this is really important what I'm about to read here. United in spirit, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, courteous, and compassionate toward one another as members of one household. So we do need to make an effort to be loving and kind to each other is what it's saying. And humble in spirit, like I talked about last week, being humble. But this is the important part, so I highlighted it, what, at least what I want to talk about tonight. Never return evil for evil or insult for insult. Avoid scolding, berating, and any kind of abuse. But on the contrary, give a blessing. For you have been called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing from the God that brings well-being, happiness, and protection. So he's saying there, when things are, are negative, don't repay evil for evil. Don't do, when something negative happens, you don't re respond negatively. But rather, he said, bless, because to this you're called that you might inherit a blessing. So in other words, the way you're going to turn things around is speaking blessings. And let me just keep going here. Verse 10, for the one who wants to enjoy life and see good days. How many want to enjoy life and see good days, right? <laughs> Must keep his tongue free from evil and his lips from speaking guile. He must turn away from wickedness and do what's right. He must search for peace with God, himself and others, and pursue it eagerly, actively, not merely desiring it. For the eyes of the Lord are looking favorably upon the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who practice evil. All right. So let me go back to speaking blessings real quick. And I really want you to understand the power of blessings because I think that in American culture, it's definitely, definitely something that's been lost. So everybody say this with me, okay? I want you to say there's prayer, there's prophecy, and then there's blessing. So there's three different things. Prayer is where you're asking God to do something. Prophecy is when God is speaking through you. I'm making it as simple as I can. All right, but blessing is altogether different. Blessing is where you speak out of your mouth something positive over a person or a place like a house 
You're speaking positive words out that you want to see happen. And God will back those up. You see that all through Scripture, Old and New Testament. And I find it interesting that Jesus, whenever they brought the children to him, he didn't pray for them. He didn't prophesy to the children. He blessed them. Why? Because he knew he was setting their feet down a course. See, blessing has the power to bring great change. You know, before we start a church service, I always get up, we take communion together, and I speak a blessing. God showed me that pattern a long time ago in the tabernacle, but also when Abraham, his name was Abram, and he went before Melchizedek, and they took communion together in the book of Genesis. They had the bread and the wine, they took communion. And Melchizedek was an authority figure, he was a priest. And he blessed God, and then he blessed Abram. And after they took communion, and that authority figure blessed Abram, it's right after that that you see that every promise that Abraham had been made up to that point, everything began to change for him pretty quick. God appeared to him, gave him the covenant of circumcision. Um, everything started changing. And the Lord showed me that there's great power in coming together, taking communion and speaking blessings. And so I began to do that. But blessings are so powerful. Let me, let me give you some examples of blessings versus curses. So let's say that you know, somebody can curse themselves. They say things over themselves. Man, I'm so stupid. I always do that. I always mess this up. And they're cursing themselves. And don't be surprised if the very things you keep cursing yourself keep happening. And then they'll curse their spouse. They'll say mean things or whatever out of frustration or anger. You know, you're, you're so stupid. You always do this wrong. You always mess this up. And the word always seems to be real prevalent, doesn't it? You're always doing this. And they're just cursing them with negative things. Same thing with children. There's parents out there that out of their anger will curse their kids. Say things like, you'll never amount to anything. You're no good. You're worthless. And they just speak stuff over them like that. And it not only does it hurt them emotionally, but it actually, those words have power. You understand that the Bible says that life and death is in the tongue. I mean, God himself created us in his image, and God spoke, and that's how he created everything was by speaking. The, so the words of God's mouth was what brought creation. And the words of our mouth make tremendous power available. God said in uh, Deuteronomy, I believe it's thirty nineteen. I could be wrong about the reference, but he said, I set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Choose blessings that you and your children may live. And God's saying that, that we need to be careful and guard our tongue just like here. Peter said in the home situation, if you want things to change, don't repay insult for insult, but rather bless, because if you'll speak blessings, he said it'll turn things around. He said if you'll speak blessings, you will inherit a blessing. Blessings can turn the tide. I remember seeing... Uh, on this show where they were interviewing some people about blessings and talking about it on Christian television, I don't remember. But there was this man, it was really interesting because him and his wife were on the brink of divorce. They were fighting all the time. They're, it was very frustrating. And he had went to church. His pastor taught him about the power of blessings. He went home and his wife turned the corner. You know, she's ready for him to say something. He's ready for her to say something. It's just kind of tense. And, and right as she turned the corner, she started to say something, but he kind of interrupted her, and he began just to speak blessings over her. And he said after a couple minutes of doing that, just speaking blessings over her, she just broke down and started crying. And something shifted in the atmosphere of their home and in their family. I've even heard of stories of people that quit cursing themselves. I'll give you an example. There was a lady that had been struggling in her weight, and she just kept speaking negative things over herself about her weight because she was frustrated about it. I'm so fat. I'll just never lose weight and all this stuff. And somebody had encouraged her to say, quit doing that. Quit speaking negative and start speaking blessings over yourself. And so she began to get, look in the mirror and she blessed herself. Did you know without doing anything different, she did not do any dieting or anything different whatsoever. Within a year, she had lost a lot of weight just from doing that. She quit cursing herself and started blessing herself. Sometimes the reason why things go from bad to worse is because of people's mouths. Our mouth can turn the tide. 
You know, every night before my wife and I go to bed now, um, we've been doing this now for years, but we always pray together and, you know, she'll speak a blessing over me, I speak a blessing over her. I speak a blessing also at that time over the church. But I've learned the power of blessings. And, of course, we have once a week, we have a Sabbath day together, and I'll, I'll speak a blessing over my family as well. But I've learned the power of blessings. Blessings will change everything. When you first start speaking blessings, it's like rain that falls on really dry ground. It's like that ground's just going to soak it up pretty quick, you know. But if you'll keep speaking blessings and keep speaking blessings, eventually it's going to be like standing water. Keep speaking a blessing over the atmosphere of your home. Keep speaking a blessing over your spouse and your kids. I remember this one minister, I heard him talking about the power of blessings, and the way that God taught him about blessings was really funny. He was at the church, and he had, he had built this church, and he never could get the people on the worship team that he really wanted. He was kind of frustrated. He built like an extra area to have more worship, uh, worship team members. And, and he was sitting there talking to God. He was praying. He was there by himself at the church. But, you know, sometimes we, we call it praying, but really we're just complaining, right? <laughs> and so he said he was just kind of complaining and stuff. And he said that God interrupted him in the middle of his little pity party and said to him, and it, it was funny, he said it was really stern, and the Lord told him, he said, well, quit cursing it and start blessing it. Right in the middle of his complaining. And he said that it actually embarrassed him. <laughs> It was funny hearing him tell it. And he just left. He went home. You know, he was, he was embarrassed. And so he said, you know what? The Lord's not going to have to rebuke me twice like that. So he got into the Word and started studying it. But you can see throughout the Scriptures, there's so many examples where, you know, Ruth and Boaz at their wedding, that they had an elder speak a blessing over their marriage. And it was interesting because he spoke that they would be famous in Bethlehem. And that's right where Jesus, you know, Jesus was a descendant of Ruth and Boaz, and he was famous were from Bethlehem. Some of the very things that the, these blessings spoke. You never know, whenever you're speaking blessings, how much impact it will have over the long haul, you know. As I used to speak things, I'll give you an example. I used to speak in my home because we started the church out there. You know, you just speak blessings and you're just speaking stuff. But I spoke, you know, that from, from that place, that the, the gospel will be able to go out to the nations. And, I mean, it's like, how is that going to happen? Well... My wife's testimony was filmed right where I used to speak that blessing on the 700 Club, and it went to the nations. You never really know when you're speaking stuff how God's going to back that up. And I could give story after story in the scriptures. You see just so many. I remember the story where Rebecca was marrying Isaac. And um, Eleazar came and got him, got her rather, and she was mounting up. And it says that her brother, and I believe her mother, were standing there. But her brother spoke a blessing over. And as she was departing to go, you know, she was going to go meet Isaac. Never met him. She was going to marry him. And Rebecca's brother spoke over her. May the Lord bless you and increase you, the thousands upon thousands, and and may you possess the gates of your enemies. That's what he spoke. And interesting, to this day, Israel still possesses the gates of their enemies when they go to war. (laughs) But the power of blessing to turn the tide. Let me give you some wisdom, and then I'm going to talk about the deception of the world as well in this. But one of the things that's really important as well, not only to speak blessings, but understand that God made each of us different. God has made every snowflake different. He's made every fingerprint different. God makes us all very different, unique. And so the way that we respond to each other is going to be very different. And there seems to be, there's been some teaching about this, but there does seem to be different ways that people give and receive love. One way is quality time. Another way is buying gifts. Another, another is physical affection. And then the fourth is affirming words. And then the fifth is acts of service. But not everybody's the same. So let me give you an example. Let's say that your love language, if you will, is that you like quality time. But then 
maybe you're married to somebody that their language is affirming words and they, they need to hear that you love them. Well, if you're always just wanting quality time and you're never telling them you love them, they, they don't necessarily feel that loved. So it's important that we understand that God makes each of us different. And so find out what it is that the people in your household relate to and do that. If your spouse or your kids, if it's something like uh, buying gifts, that that just really means the world to them or, or doing things for them, um, that may be the way that they receive love. So, you, you know, that's the way you're going to do it. But other people, it's not. Other people, it may be physical affection. It's giving them a hug. Does this make sense? So I know uh, there's, you know, I'm not, I'm trying to think of examples outside of my family, but it's not going to happen. So guys, you're just going to have to just bear with the embarrassment and just live with it, all right? But I mean, one of the things that I, as, as I got older, I understood, it was really interesting because, uh, for example, one of the ways my father shows love is doing things for people, you know. But then my wife's way, love language, probably is more physical affection and, and quality time, you know. But all of us are very different. You see what I'm saying? And so understanding that, like, for example, I'm just picking, but like my dad, when he's doing stuff for his kid, that's a way of saying I love you. When you understand the way everybody's different, you relate to them. All right. So before I move on from that, pray about and think about your, your children, your spouse. What is it that shows them that you love them? Because if they need to hear it and you're never saying it to them, they may not feel it. You know, some dads are pretty bad about it. They don't show a lot of affection to their kids. They're, they're just not real like hugs or speak, you know what I'm saying? They don't tell them they love them. And there was a, there was a whole culture years ago that were men were not even really supposed to do that. And so we need to find out what it is that, that we can show love to our family and they can in turn show love to us in a way that we really, it means something. Okay. All right. Now let me move on to something here about the world's deception. This has really concerned me. I, I might share some things here that are a little bit bizarre, but it's, I'm concerned about what I see creeping into the church. You know. How many of you guys know enough of the Bible anyway to know that the church and the world are two completely different things and they do not cohabitate in the Bible, right? Let me give you some scriptures. Romans 8 verse 7 says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So the mind that's governed by the flesh, that's the world, that's the way that they are. Their minds are completely governed by the flesh. So they're going to be hostile toward God and the things of God. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way which seems right to a man, but the end leads to death. See, that's the world. I mean, there's a way that seems right to the world. It seems right to people, but the end is death. Brianna, turn that up for me a little bit, a couple notches. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and cannot be understood because they are spiritually understood. So there's the things of the world have no place in the church, bottom line. And it has really bothered me that I've seen a lot of this, especially the last 10 years, the last decade or so, I've seen more change in the body of Christ with worldliness than in my entire life in America. And I've seen so much worldliness on so many different levels creeping into the church. And I'm showing you from the scriptures that it, it's not going to fly with God. I'm just telling you. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody else seen it? 
Um, you you have people that that now uh, you know are calling themselves Christians, but they're you know drinking or they're um, you know, profanity and um, sleeping around and you know going to bars and clubs and things like that. If they were really the real deal, I don't think they'd feel comfortable with it. Do you? But anyway, but there's something that is some kind of seducing spirit of the world that's crept into the church that is really hindering people big time. And it's making churches spiritually dead and powerless. And even the fads of the world, all the the tattoos and the piercings and and, uh, the seductive dress and things like that, has crept into the world. I mean, crept into the church from the world. Let me give you a few other things. Even with uh, medical science and um, all the drugs and things that are in that, they're legal drugs, but that's what seems like the medical community just loves putting people on drugs, you know. They do. I mean, if they can, they will. Um, there's probably a lot of money in it. I'm sure there's a reason, but, but man, even the medical community, um, and let me tell you too, some of the very things like the, what people view with the dietary studies and things, did you know that the things you're getting from the medical community and those that supposedly are studying out what's healthy and what's not and all that, just consider the source. They're not going to the Bible and coming at it from that. 99% of these people that you're listening to are either atheists or they're into the new age. And that's where you're getting a lot of that. Okay. So I'm just telling you, consider the source and be careful what you're listening to. I believe that God has given us what we need in the Bible, you know. Um, there's a lot of other realms as well. Um, psychology. You know, the way now, this is something that really has bothered me lately. My wife and I just had to deal with some things with this. But the world's psychology and parapsychology that has crept into the church. Well, first off, Freud if he knew what he was talking about, it would have at least worked on himself. But anybody that knows, I'm not making fun, okay? But the guy, it didn't even work on himself. So if he knew what he was talking about, right? But anyway, people take that. I remember John Paul Jackson did a study where he took some dreams that people had and brought to him or whatever. And he was trying to show the difference between the way that somebody that studies psychology under Freud, the way they would interpret that dream, as opposed to the way the Bible would interpret that dream. They were completely opposite. So somebody that got a dream from God, but used secular psychology to interpret that dream, would be so far off. They, they would be worthless even trying to interpret it. They wouldn't get anything out of it. Anybody see where I'm going with this? And so secular psychology is, is definitely not something that needs to be in the church. Now, here's the weird part. Even parapsychology, which parapsychology is beyond the norm. It's um, where you get outside of scientific, you know, like, for example, paranormal activity in a house. You get, you know, like, like the spirits and things like that. When we get into parapsychology, it's things that are not just normal psychology, but there's a weird, like, spiritual dynamic to it that they can't explain. So the secular world, I'll give you an example. So the secular world will take somebody, and this stuff goes on frequently, and they think, well, we need to hypnotize this person and get them under, and then we'll, we'll examine them. Let me encourage you to never get hypnotized. Okay? Don't surrender your free will to another person like that. And don't go into an altered state of consciousness and open yourself up to somebody like that. That's very dangerous. But anyway, they want to hypnotize them. And then all of a sudden, this personality will emerge and begin to talk to the hypnotist. And it's not the person that went under. It's a different person. And so this hypnotist, because they don't believe in demons and they don't believe in the Bible, they start asking this being... Um, who are you? So this, this spirit here that's manifesting says, well, actually, the person that you're hypnotizing here, um, I'm uh, the unconscious of that person telling you that they were reincarnated, and they used to be an ancient Egyptian princess thousands of years ago, 
And then this spirit begins to tell him about ancient Egypt or whatever. And so this person's like, oh, wow, you know. So they come out of being hypnotized, and, and the, the parapsychologist says, did you know, you know, that you've been reincarnated and going way back, that you used to be some ancient Egyptian princess? You know? When I tell you that this type of behavior is crept into the church, I'm not just saying that. It's scary. Now, from a biblical point of view, when that other personality manifests and starts saying that nonsense, you say, in Jesus' name, I bind you, foul demon, and you're going to come out of that person right now. Amen? Yeah. Well, anyway, and then you deal with the, the multiple personalities. Let me give you an example. So we just had an encounter with this, the reason why I'm saying this. So you have this person that feels like they, they came out of a deep realm of the occult. My wife kind of met with this individual. Came out of a deep realm of the occult, and they feel like that they have all these different personalities. Why? Because they went to a church that their deliverance ministry, that's what they told them. And so now this individual feels like they've got all these different personalities that will emerge and and talk and all this. And so I told the person, I said, well, I'm not saying there's a complete total impossibility. Probably you're dealing with demons there. And if it's not a demon, it is the strong result of a demon tormenting your life. No, no, no. (laughs) This person really believed because they went to another church that, that practices this stuff. Now, let me tell you this short, make the long story really short. So we get a call from some other people. The individual that was ministering to this lady had been sitting there communing with these personalities, talking to them and communing with them and encouraging her to do it and to pray and believe that all these personalities would merge into one within her. He got deathly sick and right now is sick. We've been praying for him. And uh, the, the medical field has no idea what's wrong with him. But he's been so sick he can't get out of his house. And um, anyway, listen, you can't play with this nonsense. This is secular psychology that has no place in the church. And it's ruining people's lives. It really is. And I remember I said, well, let's just pray. And we can drive out these spirits. It's no big deal, you know. And she had been told that these were her personalities. So she's like, well, if you do that, you might hurt one of them's feelings. And it's abusive toward me. <laughs> I said, dear Jesus. I said, well, I'm sorry, but you went to the wrong. I told her you went to the wrong people before you came to us. So anyway, God bless her. That's sad. But because of the, that, has, that worldly parapsychology has crept into the church, that young lady has still got demons in her life. And the people that have tried to minister to her like that have been under major attack. I don't, there was this sign, I laughed when I saw it, I've posted it so you guys have seen it, but at the Halloween time, some, somebody had made a sign that says, there ain't no ghost in this house but the Holy Ghost. Amen. And that's the way I feel about it in River of Life. There ain't no ghost in River of Life but the Holy Ghost. So this worldly weird stuff that's out there, it needs to stay out of the church. Okay. Another area that has crept into the church is, is the Hollywood... Um, myth <laughs> that marriage is like a fairy tale. Yeah, let me just go ahead and shatter the dreams of any young people that have <laughs> that, that actually think that. It's not even close to being true. Okay, marriage is is something you work at. Um, it's not a fairy tale. Okay, so Holly, I'm telling you, I really believe that Hollywood has had has caused quite a few divorces because people grew up thinking that it's going to be just this fairy tale. They're going to meet somebody, and they're going to go live on a beach somewhere, you know, and just their life's just going to be, it's like, give me a break. You're going to go to work, okay? You're going to, you're going to have uh, 
you're going to have to live together, and you're going to have these clashes that you're going to have to work through. Hello, reality check here, you know. So that, but that has crept into the church, and somebody needs to tell the truth, and youth pastors need to tell the truth to the young people. And I'm going to tell you that the dating system, this is one that just might uh, kung fu kick over somebody's golden calf right here, but the dating system in America is completely unbiblical. There's no way that anybody listening to this can show me a scripture in context that would validate what we call dating in America. It's just, it's stupid. It's totally unbiblical. So I'll deal with that in another sermon series, or another sermon, rather. But love, let me tell you the difference between love and lust, because this is where the world and the church are vastly different in one way is this. Love, the true love of Christ, is sacrificial and selfless. The love, love is giving. Are y'all catching this? But lust is selfish and self-serving, what I can get out of people. So listen, the church, we're supposed to have the love of Christ, and the love of Christ is where we're giving of ourselves to try to make someone else happy because we love them. But lust is where you're just trying to take from people what you want to make you happy at that moment. And the world is full of lust, and the love of Christ is not in the world. I'm not saying people don't love each other, but I'm saying the love of Christ is not in the world. But the world is inundated with lust. And if you need love back in your marriage, pray together, bless one another, and do what you did at first. Go back to some of the earlier things that you did to show love to one another. And the dating system, I can't dwell on this. I'm going to do you know, a whole other teaching on this. But the dating system teaches people to break up when things get hard. That's just one of the problems. It teaches people when times get difficult, just break up. But the Bible does not believe in divorce. God says he hates divorce. Amen? All right, so let me give you a couple more things here. We're going to have to tear down the strongholds that have held people captive. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds. So we have weapons in the spirit to destroy strongholds. Isn't that powerful? If you really think about that scripture, it's a powerful scripture. And then verse 5 says, we are destroying these strongholds and every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God and bringing, uh, taking every thought captive and making obedient to Christ. And we're ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. But he's saying there that destroying strongholds, pulling down strongholds has to do with bringing every thought captive. So this is where we want, we come into a marriage situation in a a family structure. We're going to have to pull down any strongholds in our lives so that we can live at peace with one another. Please hear me when I'm telling you this. Just because you think something, just because you feel something, doesn't mean that it's right. How many times people say, well, I think that, I feel that way, you know, it's like, but that doesn't mean that that's the way, that's, that doesn't mean it's reality. You need to consider the fact that maybe you think a certain way and feel a certain way because of the way you were raised, because of the hurts of your past, because of past experiences in life, uh, whatever. There's a whole um, huge category of things that make up who we are in life, and that can affect the way you think and feel about people and situations. But if people are going to choose to disobey the Bible in this area and in other areas and continue to meditate in their mind over and over like a broken record, um, bitter thoughts of the past, how people have hurt them, fearful thoughts, negative thoughts, maybe continually focusing on the devil and what he's doing, or um, focusing on the faults like in your spouse or something, because nobody's perfect. 
you realize when you get married, your spouse is not going to be perfect, right? Those that aren't married. And you realize that you're not perfect. So, you know, you sit there and just focus on the faults, focus on the negative. And you know what happens is people just keep doing that over and over and over every day. They are allowing a stronghold to set up in their mind. And because they've allowed that, now there's a spirit that is set on top of that stronghold and is tormenting their life. And when they finally get a belly full and say, you know what, I'm no longer going to meditate on this garbage any longer. I'm going to renew my mind. I'm going to have my mind washed with the water of the word. I'm going to meditate on the scriptures. I'm going to meditate on the positive like the Bible says. Think on these things. It talks about of a good report and all the lovely things. That's what I'm going to think on. But we've got to be willing, let's read through this list, we've got to be willing to forgive and quit bringing it up. How many times have people say, okay, they've asked forgiveness, and, but it keeps things just keep getting be brought up in the, that's from the past. We've got to be willing to forgive in, in marriage and in, in our family and let it go. Quit bringing it up. We've got to be willing to break wrong patterns and learn behavior. Like I told you guys last week, even, even in secular science, if you take somebody that's studying piano and they're doing the same thing over and over every day, playing these chords and practicing over and over and over, in their mind, the neuron paths are forming for them to be able to do that, and pretty soon it becomes second nature. How many of you guys have driven the same route so many times that you drove from point A to point B and pulled up in your driveway and thought, I don't even remember. <laughs> I don't even remember the ride home. Why? Because it's like your mind is fashioned that way. Everybody laughs because we've all done that, you know. So we've got to break these wrong patterns. So listen to this. It's so important. People, some people have a fear in their lives. Uh, for example, maybe a fear of rejection. They have a fear. And they meditate on that way of thinking all the time. So every time their husband just simply maybe shakes the hand of a lady or something, they're afraid and they get real jealous and they get weird about it. Because they got that fearful mentality. And their husband's like, man, I didn't do anything. I have no idea what's going on. And, and it just it creates this fight. Some people, they've so long have a stronghold of anger, bitterness, lust, or vengeful. The type that want revenge, they're going to get even one day, (laughs) you know. And they're just storing it up, man. One of these days, they're going to get even. You've got to let that stuff go. Prideful mentalities, rebellious mentalities. We've got to be willing to break the old bad habits of being negative. If you don't take away anything else from this sermon, please remember that. We need to bless one another and stop being negative. That's the thing. We can all choose in life. This is the truth. We can choose in life. Everybody and everybody has things in life that are positive and negative. We can choose in life to focus on the positive or the negative. That's a choice. And don't take out on other people the hurt of your past. Maybe you were wronged by somebody and now you're kind of taking that out on your spouse. And here's the last couple things. An orphan mentality. This is really important. An orphan victim and rejection mentality. All right. An orphan mentality feels that they don't really fit in anywhere. That they really don't have a family. They feel like that nobody really wants them. And so they feel alone, but it's a mentality. And as they keep entertaining that mentality over and over and over, pretty soon an orphan spirit will sit down on their life and torment them. And we've got to understand that the way that we overcome these strongholds is recognize it's a lie from the pit of hell and renew our minds with the scripture. The Bible says we've been adopted as sons and daughters. And the Bible talks about Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. The Bible talks about how God has has shed his love abroad in our hearts, how God loves us. And the Bible shows us that we're part of the family of God. And you meditate on those scriptures, and you know what you're doing? You're pulling down those strongholds. 
But see, an orphan mentality, if it's not dealt with, can really affect the relationships you have with your family. Another mentality is a victim mentality. People that feel like if I'm always the victim, things never turn out for me. It seems like, you know, if something's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong. And they have this mentality of a victim. And again, they keep meditating on it all the time. So like a a victim-type spirit can come over and sit on them. And that is not going to go well in a marriage. Because every time anything is wrong, it's like I'm the victim. But we have to pull down those strongholds, like the Bible says, and renew our minds to line up with the Scriptures. And when when your mind is is, um, lined up with the Word of God, it's like the enemy is pushed off. But when people are believing the lies of the enemy and they're focused on the darkness all the time, then it gives like the enemy a permission to oppress their minds. Another one is a rejection mentality. This is really a sad, but listen, a rejection mentality makes somebody feel that everywhere they go, they're going to be rejected. They really feel that. They'll walk into a church they've never been before and automatically feel like it's just a matter of time. Somebody's going to reject me. Something's going to happen. And they have their walls up and they have this feeling of being rejected all the time. And they take things as rejection that are not rejection. And so we have to renew those, the, pull down those strongholds out of our minds, tear that stronghold down, and meditate on the Word of God about scriptures that go against that. I believe if all of us will tear down every stronghold in our minds and line up our minds with the Word of God, that that will make a huge difference in the quality of our lives and our families, our homes. Because people that have tormented minds because they're meditating on things that aren't good, then, man, it, can, it causes that to come into that family. So much strife. I had a, a friend of mine talking about how, I'll just give you one example of this, and this is a while back, and uh, you, you won't know who I'm talking about anyway, but um, there was a, a minister I knew, and he was saying that his wife, I guess, had been hurt or something, and he was saying that, man, he was, he was just normal about everything, but, but she would take so many things as rejection and, take, and had a, such a fear that she was so jealous of him because she was afraid that, you know, I guess he would leave her or something. So every time um, maybe a visitor or somebody would come or maybe they were out witnessing or whatever and he would witness to a lady or, or maybe in the church, meet somebody, anything like that, this woman would feel rejected and feel jealous and feel like, man, you know, he's going to leave me or he's going to cheat on me or something. But it was out of her own insecurity. And so he felt really frustrated because there's really nothing he can do. So he took it to prayer. And the Lord showed him in Galatians 5.19 that it talks about the deeds of the flesh. And it says in in the deeds of the flesh, one of the things is jealousy. And it says those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so he lovingly took that to his wife. He felt like the Lord gave this to him. He took it to his wife and showed her and said, Look, the Bible says that this is the flesh. And those that live this way are not going to inherit the kingdom. And so she, loving the Lord, really took that to heart and understood that, Wait a second. God has not given me a spirit of fear. Amen. As I'm talking about tearing down strongholds, this was a stronghold in this woman's life. God has not given me a spirit of fear, so fear cannot remain in my life. And she began to tear down that stronghold of fear. She began to realize, I've just simply been insecure. He's not the problem. So she began to renew her mind and also realize that jealousy and these type of things are not from God. It's the flesh. I'm going to have to die to this. The Bible says die to the flesh. I'm about to die to this. And you know by the power of the Holy Spirit and renewing her mind with the word of God that she tore down those strongholds and conquered those things. 
But I've heard that type of story more than once. And those type of things coming up. And another thing I would say is that we need to have open lines of communication. Really pray about it and try to be somebody that's approachable. You don't want your spouse or your kids feeling like that you're unapproachable. I've, always, I've really prayed about that and tried to be really approachable. And I feel like that I have been for this reason. Because my daughters come to me about a lot of stuff. Listen, you, you want to be somebody that if your children are really needing your help, that they feel comfortable coming to you. And that you're not going to just be really mean about it or whatever. you know. But you're, you're approachable. All right, last couple things here. Um, I'm going to talk about this in other sermons anyway, so I'm just going to read over it now. But beginning and ending your day, my wife and I begin our day with prayer individually, okay, but we also end our day with prayer together. So in the morning we pray individually, but at night we pray together before we go to sleep. We apply the blood over our home and our property, and we speak blessings over one another. I'm going to tell you, if you want things to change, stop cursing it and start blessing it. Does everybody know what I'm talking about now with blessings? I feel like that we do because we do it every service. I get up here and speak a blessing. But I'm telling you, if you'll write out a blessing, speak a blessing. In our Hebrew roots of the faith, every Sabbath, the head of the home, the father of that home will speak a blessing over his family. Every week. Okay, this, this is something that goes way back. And here's what I want to pray with with everybody is about sowing and reaping. All right. Last week I talked about how important it is. We, we talk about inner healing. But this is something, if you're taking notes, you really need to make sure you got this. But for us to be healed of the hurt in our lives, we've got to, I'm just going to go over it quickly because I did last week, talked about it, but we've got to forgive others, which is not a feeling, it's a choice. We've got to be willing to ask forgiveness for any judging that we've done. Because the Bible says if you judge with the same measure, it's going to come back on you. So we've got to say, Lord, forgive me for anything I did to contribute to this problem and forgive me for judging others. Even if they hurt you, Lord, forgive me for judging them. I'm not their judge. Because the measure that you're judging them, it will come back. That's why sometimes kids... They, they hate the way their parents were, and they've judged them in their heart, but then they turn out exactly like them. Why? Because when they judged them, the Bible says the same measure is coming back on them. So I ask the Lord, forgive me for any judging I've done, forgive me for anything I did, and let the blood of Jesus and the cross get in between me and any sowing and reaping, that the, anything trying to come back on my life is blocked, and once you forgive others and once you get things right with God in your life, now you can say, Lord, cleanse and wash out of me the hurt and the pain and the bitterness, all that junk from the past. Heal my heart, heal me up, and it will happen. But it won't happen until we forgive others and until we've repented of our sin in this area. All right, I talked about that last week, so now let me add to this the curse of Loshan Hara, which is um, Hebrew, and it talks about evil speaking. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. This is the reason why I'm explaining this. In Deuteronomy 27, verse 24, it says, Cursed is the man that smites his neighbor in secret. And we all know if your neighbor comes up to you and smites you, pow, you're going to know who did it, right? All right, so... The, the rabbis and people throughout the centuries have concluded that what that actually means is, is that you're speaking against them. So in other words, in private, you're gossiping about them. You're slandering them. Gossip is where you're telling business you shouldn't be telling. But slander is where you're running them down. But you're smiting them with your mouth behind their back and they don't know about it. You're smiting them in secret. So there's this... Uh, scripture that says that cursed is the one who does this. Now, y'all, y'all remember this, okay? Because there's people that sit around and do this all the time. They, number one, they have not forgiven others. They're bitter. And so they sit around and they speak against maybe preachers or churches at home 
or they speak against their family members, like maybe their cousins, aunts, uncles, whatever. They're, they're slandering them. They're speaking against them. And they don't realize that by doing those very things that they're doing, they're bringing a curse on themselves. There's people that go from church to church to church, and everywhere they go, they sit around the dinner table speaking against the pastor, speaking against the church, slandering it, and they don't realize that they're bringing a curse on themselves. And people that are usually that way, those type of people, try to cause problems, and usually they have a lot of, of hell's influence in their home. And let me tell you something too. Speaking or praying against others, where you're speaking things, you want somebody's downfall, you're speaking things, or you're praying that bad things will happen to somebody. Speaking or praying against people is witchcraft. And the Bible says, if you sow to the wind, you reap a whirlwind. There was a preacher one time talking about this, and he said he was praying, had a vision where people were doing that. They were speaking against and praying against this other minister. And it was like their words were like arrows that went out against him, but it stopped and it doubled back like a boomerang and hit them. And when it hit them, it went in. And the last one is, in your heart, wanting the downfall, death, or destruction of others. That is murder in the heart. These are things right here that people have got to get dealt with because it affects your home, it affects your marriage, it affects your family, and it will affect your whole quality of life, honestly. So please be careful. Don't, don't gossip about people. If you have something to say about somebody, go to that person. I had a pastor one time tell me that he stopped that real quick because people would come to him and say, did, did you hear about so-and-so? He said, no, I didn't, but they're over there. Come on. And he would grab him by the hand and take him over there and let him talk. And it, he figured out that people quit coming to him with that stuff, right? But we should never, we should, number one, we should forgive others. We should never want somebody's downfall. Even if they've wronged us, we don't want their downfall. God will deal with them. The key thing is, when you've, when you've had a Judas betrayal and you've been through stuff, and everybody has, that we handle it right on our end. That means, we're, look, regardless, Lord, whatever they do is whatever they're going to do. But as for me, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to bless those that curse me. I'm going to pray for those that spitefully use me. I'm, I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to be pure and holy and right in this situation. That's how God wants us to be. And they, if they keep on, they will self-destruct. Because the very things they're speaking will come back on them. The very things they're sowing, they will reap. Just let God deal with it. Let's go ahead and uh, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, okay? Then we're going to pray for people on the altars. But let the recording go just a little bit longer. Everybody that wants to pray with me about this, say this out loud. Jesus. I want to be right with you. I want to pull down every stronghold that's been in my mind and renew my mind with the scriptures. And I choose to forgive others and forgive me if I've judged others or I've repaid evil for evil. I want to be right with you. And I ask you to cleanse me of any hurt and pain, bitterness of the past. Heal those wounds and help me, Lord, to renew my mind and destroy these lies of the enemy and meditate on the Word of God. And forgive me, Lord, if I've been a gossip a slanderer, if I've spoken against or prayed against others, or I've wanted the downfall of others. Forgive me, Lord. Wash me. Cleanse this out of me. And let the blood of Jesus and the cross get in between me and any sowing and reaping Give me a new heart and a new mind by the power of your spirit. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and shut down recordings. And if you could maybe just play that same CD earlier. We'll, we'll pray for people who want prayer tonight. Father, I lift up right now over the, over the crowd here that, that has been praying this about anything, any strongholds, any curses, things that have been in people's lives that's not of God, uh, strongholds in their mind where they've been just dwelling on things over and over and over that are not good, fearful, negative things. Father, in Jesus' name, I break that off their minds. It goes. In Jesus' name, I break the power of that. And if there's been a tormenting spirit, I bind you. Go in Jesus' name. And Father, things that have come in people's lives... Um, from maybe speaking things over others or whatever, Father, I break that off every life. I commit to go now. In Jesus' name, I destroy these strongholds. In the mighty name of Jesus, let there be freedom in this place. We thank you for it now. If you guys want prayer tonight, we're going to pray for people. We just need to move the chairs. And Ed needs to quit eating his goldfish. We're going to pray for people, so...